You are listening to the Chef John Podcast. I'm Andrew Scrivani. And I'm Chef John. The grill marks on this ribeye. Well, 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 welcome back. Hey, John, how's it going? Hey, Andrew, doing good? I missed you, man. I mean, it, it, I, the time in between these, it just, it, it, takes, it takes a lot out of me. It's a long two weeks, but you'll be fine. It certainly is. I've been thinking, you know, how a lot of these shows start with me thinking about something, right? So I, I've been thinking, and I think a lot about words, right? I, I do word puzzles, and I do the, the, the New York Times B and the crossword puzzle every day. I'm really into words. And sometimes, you know, especially around food, um, words don't always mean what they're supposed to mean. And uh, there's one that kind of sticks out to me, especially in the overuse of it in, in, in modern food terminology is uh, farm to table. Um, I think sometimes when we hear farm to table, we're expecting, you know, Mr. Green Jeans come out of the shed with two handfuls of asparagus and like throw them in the pot and then bring them out to the table. Uh, but farm to table has sort of made its way into grocery stores. And that sort of is a bit of a problem for me, you know, as words kind of supposed to mean something. Yeah, no, it's farm to table, not counting the four to six middlemen in between. <laughs> that would make every meal farm to table, I would think. Well, it's funny. There was a, there was a time uh, long before people used the word literally in literally every sentence. Correct. When, you, when someone said something, you assume they meant it literally unless otherwise, you know, instructed. So yes, when I first heard farm to table, I was imagining someone either driving to a farm picking up food, like, a, you know, a stand, a lot of farms uh, where I grew up, Western New York, every farm had a stand out somewhere near the front. And uh, usually it was honor system. You could drive by and you put your whatever money in the little drop box and uh, took what you wanted. Um, and that was, that was farm to table. Sure. Right from there, you cooked it and you were eating. Um, so now, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. You walk through a, and we won't name names. No, um, no. Let's let's say for the sake of argument, they specialize in foods that are whole. And you walk through, and there's like posters, farm to table this, and meet meet the purveyor, meet the farmer. And it's like it's, but it. Hold on, I, I'm in a store, right? It's not coming. So I don't know that the the term has definitely been stretched, um, stretched to its breaking point. Um, Although, you know, I, I, I've had some delicious farm-to-table meals, as I'm sure you have. Oh, yeah, of course. And, I, and we can't prove or disprove that the food came directly from the farm. Um, although, you know how you can, uh, you can really know if, this is, if it's real or not, is if the restaurant has a garden or a farm attached. Like, of course, the great Chez Panisse, that was, people, right. people are, I think, pretty fuzzy about what California cuisine actually means or, or what that whole revolution was uh, or what people called a revolution. It was fairly quiet, nonviolent. There were no guns and ammo in that. It region. was very, yeah, it was, uh, people were drinking way too much and smoking to, uh, to get, <laughs> to get too, uh, to get too up in arms. Um, but anyway, that's sort of what happened there. For, uh, restaurants actually were like, Oh wait, let's just grow some vegetables out back. Duh. They're free and fresher. Uh, and then, you know, if they couldn't do that, they had a partnership with a farm and dude would drop off the stuff in the morning and you'd cook your specials. So uh, 
anyway, it reminds me of a, a, a semi-funny story. Uh, Michelle's dad made reservations one time at one of the first, or at least the first time I heard the terminology used by restaurants for marketing, uh, one of the first farm-to-table places in the area near where he lived. And, uh, you know, restaurant, uh, I guess they were caterers that wanted to open up a place. So they they paired that with this little vegetable garden. And anyway, they were doing a fixed price meal. And I don't know about you, but I have a soft spot for cabbage rolls. Um, Are you a fan? Not necessarily. But okay. I mean, your last name is Mitsuwich after all. So yes. And now, ironically, the cabbage rolls I grew up on were made by Italians. Okay. And now I think they possibly were inspired by my father, maybe making them one time a long time ago. I'm going to have to ask my sister about this. These are the Ukrainian Italians, right? Ukrainian Russian version of a, or Ukrainian Polish uh, or Belarusian as we've. Of course. Uh, right. As we've established earlier. So he might've like brought them to the town as an idea, but then my aunt, my, my Italian aunts and uncles uh, we're like, oh, that sounds good. Rice, you know, meat, cook it in tomato sauce. Sounds beautiful. So they sort of took it over. And my Aunt Angela was the, growing up, was the cabbage roll queen. And my mom, of course. And this was one of their, like, signature dishes. Um, but anyway, if I see cabbage rolls on a menu, I'm there. Farm to table or, or not. I mean, it could be farm to so, some other place, one more place, store, on a truck, Falls off the truck. Now they're in the back of a Camaro and you buy it in, you know, in the Best Buy parking lot. And now it's on your table. So anyway, uh, Al has made reservations at this place. I'm extremely excited, not only because it's quote unquote farm to table, but I'm getting cabbage rolls. So we go in and their whole theme was this amazing fresh produce. We're picking like minutes before you sit down. So they, they put a little uh, crudités on the table as a little appetizer. Um, and I'm looking in, I'm, you know, you know me, I'm not super picky, but I'm thinking farm to table, you know, uh, vegetable platter is a sort of a welcome first impression. It was like celery, carrots, a couple pepper strips, you know, very unremarkable. It was the mise en place for a chicken soup. Like I could live a hundred thousand miles away from a store and I can, I can get this like, you know, so anyway, not, no, no judgments yet. They're giving me a nice little bite to start. Very nice. So the uh, the next it was a like I said a fixed uh, fixed price menu set menu. So the next course was a, a garden salad. Well, here we go. Here's where they're really going to show off their farm to table chops. Yep. And here comes out a your basic uh, wake me up when it's over baby green mix spring mix, and in that was julienne or not even julienne like uh, batons. Matchsticks. I don't know what they're called. I should probably know this. I went to culinary school. Oh, yeah, but anyway, the the slightly larger julienne a vegetable cut. You lectured us in a previous episode about uh, how the French fry knife was the uh, the reason for French fries. So you you should know these things. Yeah, well, I, I I know I know some things. But anyway, here comes the salad, greens, and then it was garnished with some vegetables. The same four vegetables that were on our our opening platter. Uh. Our crudités, which I guess sounds better than sliced vegetables. So I'm thinking now, all right, do these people really have a farm? Like, is this, was that just for show out back? Like I saw, thought some, I saw some herb plants, but. It sounds more like garden to table. This is more like, you know, 
Wegmans or Safeway to table. This was, this was, I'm getting suspicious at this point because I've seen nothing that I'm like, oh man, they grew that Tokyo turnip from heirlooms, like nothing in that, even in that realm. Uh, so fine. I get, I've had some vegetables, get my micronutrients, nice salad, exact same redundant vegetables. Who cares? Next course, cabbage rolls. Coming out. All will be forgiven and hopefully forgotten. So we wait and we wait, and there's at least I'm at least 40 minutes wait between the salad and the main course, which is way too long for a fixed price menu because the whole idea of a fixed price uh, set menu is so you know exactly what you're serving to exactly how many people, and it should be choreographed like you know, like a like a fine like a. What do they choreograph? Dances. They should Dances. be choreographed like a Dances. like a gorgeous ballet. Uh, this was not. So we're waiting. We're waiting. Uh, would you like some? You know, can we bring you a, a you know something? I, no, because I'm afraid they're going to be the same vegetables. So we're no, we're good. Uh, have another drink. So anyway, here comes the, the plates. Very excited. They set four of these cabbage rolls down on the table. Except I'm looking at the plate. And I don't see any cabbage. I see a large uh, hardball baseball size round meatball of meat. And you'll never guess what the vegetables were. Uh, carrots. Correct. The same ones. Yep. We're on the salad. Yep. Only they're cooked now. Okay. And again, this, this, just that would have bended my mind enough. But now I'm completely distracted by the fact that this cabbage roll has no cabbage leaf on it. It is just a ball of meat and rice, maybe, and some whatever vegetable filler. Um, so the server setting it down, and by the time like the last plate gets set down, I'm like, excuse me, um, did I miss something here? This I thought these were cabbage rolls. I don't see any cabbage on the plate. Uh, and maybe there was a few like strands in the sauce, like some broken pieces. Mm-hmm. And the server's like, oh, you know what? I uh, let me let me run and check. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe did they maybe they changed something. We didn't get on. Them. I'm like, how do you change a cabbage roll? The harvest of the of the uh, cabbages must have been really poor that year. <laughs> so the, I, I was expecting the guy to say, hey, we can't wrap them in carrot and celery. What do you want? That's the only <laughs> vegetables we have here. Oh, and pepper strips. So anyway, they come back a minute later and uh, Tell us the sad tale that the uh, the cabbage was left in the oven at too high of a temperature, and the cabbage on the top burnt. Hmm. So the chef, being a you know highly trained professional, thinks, "Let's not make something else," or tell the customers, "Let's simply pull the burned cabbage off the cabbage balls, meat balls." <laughs> And serve those without telling anybody, including apparently the servers, and just see if, you know, just see if anybody notices. Yeah. Maybe there's not a chef in that is, you know, that's uh, highly suspicious in the dining room at the moment. So I, I'm like, so not only am I stunned by the, like, that this would even happen, like, how did this even get to the table? But they were so casual, like, no big deal. The thing was burnt, you pull it off. What do you want, buddy? You got a big meatball on your plate. I mean, you want some more carrots and celery? What's, what's your problem? <laughs> so anyway, uh, at that point, it's like we're either eating this or 
And it's always, you know, and I'm sure you've been in the situation where you're a guest at a dinner, someone else has invited you, hosting it, clearly you're going to be picking up the check. You can't get too enthusiastic with the ripping of the place because you, you know, you got to yeah. you know, put a brave face on. You don't want to go home hungry. You got to eat that meatball. <laughs> so, so I'm tearing into that meatball like it's on purpose. And <laughs> there's tiny, so we're kind of joking around because there's like, you know, maybe half fork size, you know, particles of cabbage apparently just, you know, disintegrated off the main leaf when it was burnt. Who knows? Um, The burnt cabbage, you know, did give it a nice smoky hint uh, of of flavor profile. No, I'm kidding. That was that wasn't good either. Um, So anyway, these were Chernobyl, uh, Chernobyl cabbage rolls. That's what I would have called Yes, they at least they could have had a sense of humor and, and called them that and said, listen, right. total meltdown in the kid burn and just blame an intern like I would have. And fine, we're having meatballs. Great. Meatballs are delicious with carrots and celery and pepper strips. So anyway, that was the uh, that was my meal of uh, farm to table, nonetheless, uh, cabbage rolls with the finest fresh vegetables money can buy grown in right behind the restaurant. Uh, although apparently they only planted three things and served it with every course. But you forgot that it wasn't a vegetable farm. It was a cattle farm. Yes. Maybe they should have clarified. Uh, but no, like, yeah, all the, all the language, like on the website and on the menu was all about the, the bounty, the cornucopia of (laughs) the finest and heirloom. It's like, oh, this is going to be awesome. All right. Oh, that's a weird, that's a weird crudite platter to start with. It looks like something you get at a, at the, you know, the, the holiday Inn uh, free happy hour buffet. You know, it's like, by the way, holiday Inn's not a sponsor, are they? No. Okay. Um, holiday Inn, if you'd like to be a sponsor, I will make your vegetable platters sound a lot better than I just did. All right. But anyway, that was my uh, most memorable, I would say farm to table experience. Unfortunately, no, well, fortunately, at least they used the term correctly. Technically, they were picking it and serving it. So it wasn't going through six middlemen. You don't know that for sure now, do you? No. In fact, I don't. It certainly could have come right off the truck from a regular vegetable purveyor, and they just have a garden to look like they have a garden. I, I, don't, I wouldn't know the difference. I guess that's the point. It is definitely an overused term, but that story is the, the capper on the overuse of the farm-to-table moniker. What a perfect example of heading into a situation where you're expecting one thing and you get something entirely different. And I know that, you know, this is something that happens quite often around food. You know, sometimes we head into restaurants or we head to a friend's house for dinner and or we're, you know, at home and we expect that certain things are, you know, going to be great and delicious and presented to us. And uh, it's not always the case. Yeah. In fact, you remind me of a super funny story that I kind of wish happened to me because I find those stories easier to embellish than other people's stories. <laughs> but this actually happened to my sister. And I i mean, I cry laughing every time I hear this story. Um, she, speaking of farm to table, my grandparents grew, like most Italian grandparents, grew a, usually a big vegetable garden, lots of greens, you know, kale, Swiss chard before it was cool. Um, anyway, it was really common for my sister and I, My both my parents worked all day, all night. 
Uh, very common for us, either after school or during the summer, just to show up at my grandparents' house. And there would be always something delicious to eat or cooking or leftover, you know, something. So we got used to that. You know, we were spoiled. I mean, just a, uh, a delicious upbringing. I also had that same experience where every time I would go into my grandmother's kitchen, there was always something on the stove. So yeah, the, the, the expectation that when you get there, you are, it's like Pavlov's dog. You immediately start to think, oh, I'm going to get something good here. Yeah. And then eventually you learn not to show your disappointment with your parents' offerings occasionally. <laughs> it's not, it's not grandma's. No. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's fine. But anyway, my, uh, my sister tells this story. She shows up at my grandparents one afternoon and she sees my grandmother stewing a big pot of Swiss chard. Now to us, what that usually meant was either uh, like a beautiful minestrone soup or beans and greens, or sometimes they would serve like the greens with, you know, some meat, some sausage, like on polenta. Mm. Uh, it, it was going to be good. Am I making you hungry? I'm getting really hungry. So anyway, she's watching my grandmother stir this pot of greens and, you know, her mouth's watering and she's, you know, young girl, but probably thinking like, I wonder what we're having. Is it going to be this? going to be that. Anyway, she's sitting there at the table and my grandfather walks in and heads over towards the stove and, she, and they, you know, it was a team effort back then. And so she's thinking my grandfather's probably going to, you know, take a sample or, pick up where she left off and start throwing some pasta in there or beans, whatever. Uh, but no, my grandfather proceeds to drop his pants. He bends over the counter and my grandmother pulls with the tongs a nice big wad of steaming hot, partially cooked, wilted Swiss chard and slowly lowers it down onto a boil on the middle of his ass, which apparently... I'm no doctor, but I guess hot compresses are really good for that kind of thing. Oh, God. Before it's lanced, I think is the technical term. That's horrible. And so she went from the, you know, the nirvana of, oh, my God, this smells awesome. I can't wait. Grandma's going to give us another bowl of deliciousness to, huh, grandpa's pulling his pants down. <laughs> Why is grandma putting steaming hot Swiss chard on grandpa's ass? And... <laughs> I mean, she tells the story, you know, you, you have to, you have to have been the one that see, saw it to actually do the story justice with all the colorful details. I mean, I can imagine the trauma. I mean, she's like, I've never forgotten about that. I was kind of scarred for life. You can't unsee something like that. Uh, although, you know, she did learn if you ever need a hot compress for a boil on your ass or other parts, uh, don't sleep on Swiss chard. It is affordable. And it wilts nicely and really holds the temperature. Uh, in fact, let me give, let me throw in for the audience a little cooking advice. Um, if you're ever using greens in a soup or a stew, please cut them smaller than the size of a spoon. And you know why? No. Well, you have a beard, so it's not a big deal for you. You got insulation. Okay. When you serve someone's soup that has greens, wilted greens in it, and the greens are like three inches long and they don't fit on a spoon. As you take a, a bite, a slurp it off the spoon, the other half of the piece of Swiss chard will kind of fall off the spoon and wrap onto your chin and lower lip. And you will get some severe burns uh, 
unintentionally, or at least I hope they're unintentional, uh, if you do that uh, operation. So what you need to do is make everything spoon size or less. All right. So you can get a whole bite and any other partial pieces will either fall off or get in the spoon. What you don't want is big, long, dangling, uh, boil-ready size pieces of chard uh, steaming steaming your chin. And by steaming, I mean, you know, yeah, fourth degree burns. So we got two things happening here. We have one, the audience will never again eat Swiss chard. Right. And secondly, I think we should make a pact to troll your sister the next time she comes to your house and you should be making a big pot of Swiss chard when she walks in. The oh, my God. And then, no, Michelle should be making it. <laughs> right, right, right. And then I come in the kitchen, bend over, drop my pants. And, and, and Michelle pretends that she has to lance a boil on my ass. And then the capper is, it's Swiss chard you grew in your own garden. Farm, Farm to, to table, ass chard. <laughs> Can we say ass chard on a podcast? We just did. Oh, my God. All right. Welcome to another installment of Things That Drive Chef John Crazy. Um, I have a few things related to pizza that drive me crazy, and I will bring them up at a later date. But there is one pizza-related thing that I know drives Chef John crazy, and it's pineapple on pizza. Yes, and let's please clarify. It is not pineapple on pizza that drives me crazy. No? I say do your thing. It is people arguing about whether pineapple belongs on pizza. Apparently, this is like in certain circles on the on the internet, like a death match. You know, have to have a final answer on whether it's acceptable or not. I don't know why, but anyway, apparently, this is a big, important topic for some people. They must have their opinion heard on whether pineapple belongs on pizza or not, and then the people that like it have to defend it to the death. And people that think it is a crime against nature have to explain in excruciating detail why. And I do not understand it. I'm confused by the whole arguments. Um, I'm wondering if these people that are just so put off by it have ever had something like, I don't know, uh, tacos al pastor. Okay. You know, nice pork. Yeah. With beautiful grilled chunks of pineapple. Delicious. Okay. Uh, if, if they ever had, you know, fruit salsas, <clears throat> which, depending on what you're putting them on, can be quite lovely, especially with proteins. Uh, and it, there's a thousand other examples. I think that when, like like our pr uh, previous discussion about sauce versus gravy, I think once we start to venture into these seemingly Italian foods that people feel very passionate about. Right. That's where we get into trouble. Yeah, I think that that's where we end up getting into trouble. And I have I have a definitive opinion on pineapple on pizza. Which is what? It is definitely a crime against nature. All right, I'm, I'm changing my take. You, what? Wait, 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 wait. Stop the presses. Stop the presses. No, no, it's not what you think. Oh, I'm, okay. not gonna, I'm not going to agree with you. Don't get your hopes up, buddy. <sighs> uh, no, I said it didn't bother me that people put it on there or not. It bothers me that people argue about it. Yes, I know, right. I'm going to update that. You're like, yeah, I was here. I'm going to update that. <laughs> I'm, it's annoying and drives me crazy that people argue about it. But now I'm going to expand that. I think it also drives me crazy that people are so dead set against it. Okay. So I'm, I'm in that camp. So now if you're, you're whipping me up one of your famous, you know, 
pepperoni mushroom pies and you're going to just randomly throw some chunks of pineapple on there mm-hmm. just to just to be you know a country then you know i can i can get behind the why is that on there that's not what that's not sincere but if you're making a a beautiful ham pizza ham based i i, I get it and you're going to put some pineapple on is a is a foil is a is a flavor enhancer amplifier of the salty porky goodness. I have no problem with it. And even if I did, I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to start doing, you know, I'm not going to be on Twitter an extra 15 minutes to, to make my case. So you have much, much better things to talk about on Twitter. I can assure you. And I'll tell you, um, Claire, I'm trying to remember someone I follow on Twitter. I think, I think her name's Claire. Um, she posted a, an amazing picture of a grilled flatbread, clearly grilled over charcoal, looked like a beautiful non type pizza bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was covered or topped with grilled pineapple rings and prosciutto or prosciutto, as you might call it. Prosciutto. I was like, all right, finally, I can show this picture to people that would tell me never to pair a ham and pineapple on a pizza because that looked like a perfect thing to eat. Now, if someone hands you a grilled flatbread with pineapple, grilled pineapple and some nicely torn uh, prosciutto strewn around the top, you, you wouldn't eat that? No, I, I would probably eat that. I wouldn't call it a pizza. Okay, so if I called it a flatbread. Yeah, that's all good. You and your, you, you and your semantical mind would be... Yes. That works for me. Totally. It's only the word that bothers me. I'm going to give you one, one semi-logical argument about why pineapple does not belong on pizza. Okay. Where's pizza supposed to be coming from? Uh, whoever makes its kitchen. No, no, no. Regionally, geographically. Oh, regionally, I guess. Originally, um, the Chinese brought it to Italy and then... No, 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 no. <laughs> Isn't that the story? No, no, no. That's spaghetti. That's spaghetti. Come on. stay. I just, I, folks, I'm doing this on purpose. Ah, yeah. No kidding. Andrew um, has some hard buttons to push. And then there's some that are just yeah, yeah, yeah. huge I mean, red giant ones. You could, you could hit it with your elbow. No, it, it, pizza's from Italy. Right, right. The pineapples are from? From uh, Calabria, I believe. No, from, from Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So where there is no... I'm going to throw this word out there and that's probably going to drive you crazy too. There is no authenticity in putting things that come from one part of the world on top of a cuisine that comes from another part of the world. Agreed. Now, why, why is that authenticity important in this context? People are proud of the foods that come from their heritage, right? So I think they, they look at this as a bastardization of traditional food. Yes, yes. And if we called it a traditional Italian pizza name, What's the most famous Italian pizza of all time? Oh, gosh. Who knows? I mean. Well, margarita. I mean, is that. Oh, a margarita pizza. Oh, I understand. A margarita. So if I was going to do a, a pizza margarita and then I topped it with pineapple, you have an excellent case. Okay. Fair. This is me directly insulting you and your ancestors <laughs> and everything that's good and righteous about Italian pizza. But if some shoemaker at a sports bar in, let's pick a city, San Francisco. is putting is putting pineapple on a ham flatbread and calling it pizza nobody nobody in italy should be mad okay all right well i mean i'm not so And by the way when i get these emails from people that are mad about me doing similar things it is never people from that country no it's never like a jamaican person 
I, I don't appreciate you calling those wings jerk chicken. It's not really because it, it's always someone from some university campus in like New England that's highly upset that I'm appropriating. And by appropriate, I guess I mean sharing uh, a recipe where I've been inspired by certain, you know, certain uh, traditional ingredients and techniques. All right. I will agree on one thing here, that the combination of salty pork goodness, as you put it, and pineapple are an adequate combination on some type of grilled bread. Very good, Your Honor. I rest my case. And by the way, you folks in the audience, when you uh, give us your hopefully five-star rating, you're able to leave a comment with your rating. I would love to get your thoughts on the podcast in general, but specifically, give us your uh, your opinion on the pineapple on pizza. Uh, am I... Am I over? Am I overblowing the uh, the the what's the word? The passion that people seem to have for this argument, or or maybe I just caught people on a bad day on Twitter. I don't know. It seems like people were way too over the top. Anyway, let's let, let's hear your thoughts, people. Maybe we're both wrong, and you have a third opinion. Who knows? There's no third party in this country. There's no, there's no third party. So, John. What did we learn today? Well, you know, I think we learned a, a few things. Um, farm to table doesn't necessarily mean farm to table. Indeed. Uh, in fact, it could mean not even close farm to table. Um, I think we've also learned that if you walk into a kitchen and an elderly Italian woman <laughs> who's married to uh, someone that maybe sits a little too much in the recliner, Mm. Uh, and she's stewing Swiss chard. It may or may not be for a delicious soup. <laughs> it could very well be. There is a possibility. It's ash chard. And especially if it's not cut in three inch strips. <laughs> especially if it's cut longer than the length of your spoon. Yes. And then lastly, it's totally appropriate, especially when serving Italians from Naples to put pineapple on pizza. <laughs> if you want to get beat up a knuckle sandwich. <laughs> hey, put some pineapple on that knuckle sandwich. So, and by the way, never ever put pineapple on a knuckle sandwich. It doesn't, it doesn't go there. And it's insult. It's an insult to people that invented the knuckle sandwich, which I believe was, I don't know, Romanian. Don't say it. You know, you're going to say it. Don't say it. Go ahead, say it for me. No, I'm not going to say it because I don't want to get in trouble. All right, let's sign off before we get in uh, any more hot water. I'll try. Say good night, Andrew. Good night, Andrew. Andrew.